The great I am. The great I am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me give you a quick church lesson. Comparative religion church lesson. When you hear music like that and people start doing this thing, that's called happy feet. Before the movie came out, it's true. You know I'm a musician, right? And so some of you think that I'm influenced by salsa, which I am, jazz, which I am. But the main influence for me was um, black gospel music. So when I hear stuff like that, I go way back. When we were cutting class at Seward Park High School. Yes, that's how I learned how to play piano. Anyway, that's another story. Isn't it good to be here in the house of the Lord today? How many have happy feet for Jesus? <laughs> the great I am. God is just amazing. I'm glad you made it here today. Thank God for air conditioning. Yes? We invite you to stay with us all day for the next three days. There's going to be a heat wave here, so uh, the, the unit will be working just fine. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Please join me for a few moments and let's wave to our family, church family that's in Berkhamsted, uh, United Kingdom in England. Right now they're watching us. Just turn around and wave to Joe, Joanne, and everybody over there. You didn't know that, huh? There's a group of people there that are gathering to worship the Lord, and we love them, and we pray blessings, especially now, as you know, England is going through some challenging moments, uh, both politically and with all of the violence happening there, but we'll pray that God would show up in a big way there. You know, there is no distance. The Atlantic Ocean is not wide enough to keep the blessing of the Lord away. So let's pray as they pray for us as well, and it's good to be here today. I want to mention to you that we have a celebration because one of the grandmothers of our church, one of the grandmas, uh, she actually graduated from college. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Summa cum laude. One of the grandmas. Spoke to her a couple of days ago, and she says she's getting ready to go do her master's too. Grandma from our house, from our church. Amen. Preaching point number one. It's never too late. Amen. I read an article last week that had a 70-year-old mom that she graduated from college. And we keep saying, I'm waiting till everything. I'm waiting to get my life together. Come on. Today's the day. Today's the day. So we celebrate with Marilyn Noah. When you see her, celebrate with her. She graduated from college with honors. And if she did it, you can do it too. I don't know where you are on your journey, but you can do it too, and we want to motivate you. And today, what I want to preach about today and teach today is under this subject that I'm calling maturation graduation. Maturation graduation. And some of you have been going back and forth to see your kids graduate and loved ones graduate and children graduate. And I want to talk about that because I think it's time that we stop drinking baby milk and start acting and walking and being like adults. Is that all right? Oftentimes, we're very good at blaming this one and that one and everyone in between. But there comes a point in our lives where we really need to get to a place of maturing. And the passage I've selected today is actually the writings to the church of uh, the believers of uh, the Hebrews. This book is very interesting because the book of Hebrews, the entire focus of the book is really to elevate Jesus higher. 
And if you read the first chapter, you'll get it right away. He's, you know, above creation, involved in creation, higher than the order of Melchizedek, and on and on and on and on. Interesting, in the epistle to the Hebrews, we don't know for sure who the author is. The writing style and the way the literary points are presented sounds like, smells like, looks like it's the Apostle Paul, but we don't know for sure. But the reason the book of Hebrews is found in the, or the epistle of Hebrews, because it's a letter of antiquity, is found in the New Testament, is because there were a group of people that were Jewish in birth and culture and tradition, and they had come now into this new way of knowing God through Christ Jesus. But what happened to them, and this is why Hebrews was written, to help encourage them, uh, what happened to them is that they kept following after the Lord, and now back then it wasn't called Christian or church yet. It was really called being followers of the way, or the path, or the road. That's what, what, what it was known. So here they are being culturally Jewish, even religiously Jewish, but yet they were following after this Messiah who was now realized eschatology. He was there with them now, or, or had been. At this point, he, he was already crucified. So these believers were living this life as what we would call today Christians, but yet they were dragging with all of the things from the past. Just recently, I met with uh, one of the uh, men of our church, one of the newer guys in our church, came to talk to me, and I'll share this with you and, and really so that we can learn together. And he was telling me, you know, I haven't been around for a while. I've, had, I've gone through some very difficult times, but, you know, uh, I'm back, and, you know, keep me in prayer. And, and Pastor, is it all right? Because I lit up a candle. Is that okay? And I understood because of his innocence, he didn't really understand the thing with candles. He was using his history, his past life, as a reference point for doing righteousness and living right. So I explained to him, well, no, you know, what God really wants to see is not you lighting a candle. He wants to see the light of your life coming up here to the altar and just living for the Lord. That's what I, exactly what I told him. But I understood where he was coming from. Here he is striving to live for, and just, just pray for him, he's a newer guy, try, striving to live for the Lord, but he's dragging all the stuff. And before we get too judgmental, we're the same way. Yeah. Culturally, we think that it's only a certain culture of people that are going to be up there. We forget about that in the last book of the Bible, it says that every tribe and tongue will be there. Amen. There's this concept in theology called the homogeneous unit principle that says people really like to worship with people that look just like them. So blacks like to worship with blacks, Latinos like to worship with Latinos, whites like to worship with Latinos, Koreans like to worship with Latinos, and on and on and on. What did I say? What did I say? Well, you know what I meant, right? <laughs> Homo. You know, there was like-minded people. Women like to be just with women, and men like to be with men. And, that's, and it's a concept that's controversial because it actually it, it borders up against racism and other things like that. But a lot of controversy. Seminaries about controversy. But the point that I want to make here today is that we need to realize that we come with baggage. We come with stuff. And sometimes we judge the now based on how they hurt me yesterday. We judge this person that you're in relationship with based on how the last person abused you. And I'm here to tell you that in Christ there is true freedom and liberty. And so Paul is writing to the church uh, and these Hebrew believers, Jewish in culture, tradition, in ritual, as you'll see in a few moments as we read this opening passage, and they were carrying stuff, and he's trying to get them to get to a place of maturity. And church, I've taught this before in this, here, and I just want to re reiterate it. You can't change the past, but you cannot let the past define you. Yes. 
So if you've gone through hurts and pains and you were bleeding from situations that happened in the past, understand that those are just historical markers in your life, but they don't define you. You go back nostalgically and you think about them and you try to resolve them and you try to get through them, but if you stay too long live, live, living in the past and hooked to the things of the past, you'll never be able to enjoy the now and you'll certainly not be able to enjoy your future. So we need to get to a place where we understand and we put those situations, whether it was physical abuse, whether it was neglect, whether it was betrayal, whether it was abandonment, whatever things you went through, I want to honor that. I don't want to belittle the pain that we've gone through in our lives and that you've gone through your life. But what in your mind, and this is what the writer here of Hebrews is trying to do, we need to place those things where they belong. And they don't define you. Those are simply historical markers in your life. Then in moments of nostalgia, you go back there and you think about them, but you don't dwell on them all the time. And people, that are, mature people are able to walk their journey carrying stuff. You realize that not everything can be resolved. And I think sometimes we're waiting for God to be the genie in the bottle. That I rub it alongside and then all my problems are resolved. That, that I can just hocus pocus, have people pray for me and bathe me with oil. And maybe the, the more hands that are laid on my head, then the more deliverance I will have. No, oftentimes we're living the life that we made. Suffer, suffering the consequences of really bad decisions. Is there an amen in the house now? Because we really are a result of our decisions. What is it? Bishop Bronner said that you're born looking like your parents, but you die looking like your decisions. It's true. It's true. So Paul, uh, well, I think it's Paul, but the writer of the book of Hebrews is pushing forward, writing to the Hebrews because they were valuable. They were important. They couldn't be cast aside. They needed to be empowered. They needed to get to a place of maturity. In fact, in the text, as you'll see in a few moments, I'll read it. In the, in the text, he's saying this is the perfect way to do it. It's a life of maturity. And I want to go there with you because I think it's important, church. I don't want you to be living a life that's mediocre or a life that's uh, here or there. You, you should live a life of excellence, of purpose. God didn't make an accident. Uh, uh, you were in an accident. There was intent, divine intent, and you appearing on the history of mankind. But we make bad decisions. It isn't God's fault. It isn't the church's fault. It isn't that you're the wrong color, the wrong last name, whatever it might be, because we're just, you know, don't know education. You don't know my family. Every family is dysfunctional. Every family's got a crazy uncle, a controlling aunt, an unaffirming dad, an emotionally dead grandfather. Every family. Say hallelujah if you can now for the other people. It's true. But we got to get to a place where we go beyond that if we want to live a life of maturity. Let me read the text. The text says the following. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Got to go to the discipleship, but then we have to move on further on how do we apply that, right? Beyond the elementary teachings about discipleship and be taken forward toward maturity. And, and I want to get somewhere here with you, uh, several places, because I'm going to recap and define for you and flesh out what maturity is, but I also want to give you a, a, a very practical way of being able to live holy every day. But follow the text with me for a moment. Therefore, let us move beyond. The word, the phrase there, move beyond, in the original is to violently cast out, to aggressively move away from. It is not saying to forget them. 
It is simply saying, don't live with that any longer. Don't let that bog you down. How many people took a bath today? Are you sure the person next to you took a bath? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to go somewhere biblical with that, believe it or not. You know, it's going to be, we're going to have a heat wave, 90 degrees. You're welcome to stay here as long as you can today because it's 90 plus degrees out there. Tomorrow, the same thing in the next day. But when you sweat, you take a bath really to cool off. Because what happens when you're sweating is your body is just expelling all of the toxicity that's inside of you. It comes out through dirt, it comes out through sweat, and it comes out through smell or odor. So you get in the shower, which you did this morning or you did last night because I knew you weren't going to come, come here without bathing. <laughs> no, you didn't know. That's a, you, 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 you take a shower really to cool off, right? The other day, I, was, I think I was, I was either, uh, I was doing something in the car. Look, I, I, I'm a pretend mechanic. I know how to do it, but I don't like getting my hands, I don't know about you, I don't like getting my hands dirty. No, there's no scars and stuff. But anyway, I, was, I ended up getting oil and dirt pestle all over my hands. So I had to clean it, and I cleaned my hands, and then the next day I still had stuff. And the next day I still had stuff. I had to go get a brush and get into the nail and scrub things out. Ready for the application? I think it's time that in your walk with the Lord, you just stop taking a bath for cooling off and take a brush and let the Holy Spirit start scraping stuff out of. So when he says here, because I'm painting the picture, when he says here, move beyond, that's wonderful Shakespearean language there. But really what he's saying in the original and here it's rendered not in the, in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, so the Hebrew can understand. He's rendering here very powerfully. You need to aggressively push it away. You need to scrape that stuff off. Scrape that stuff off. It's time that we start acting mature in adults and not going back to being offended. You, know, you ever know, there's nobody here. <laughs> But people, some people get offended for the easiest thing. You don't look at them, you look at them, you shake their hand, you don't shake their hand, you embrace others, you don't embrace them. You took their seat, you didn't take their seat, it's too hot, it's too cold, the moon came out, it's nighttime, it's Monday, it's Tuesday. They get offended for the easiest things in the world. They don't like your bow tie, they like your tie, they don't like when you don't wear a tie, they like a sweater, they like red socks, they like blue underwears, I mean, I don't know. We got to get to a place where we grow up. And we stop the list of all the things and get to the maturation graduation where we are mature and we carry our stuff. You cannot help your walk with, uh, you cannot let your walk with God be determined by how well a singer sings, how, how well a person preaches, how well the, the seats are. If there's no air conditioning, if there's no seating or whatever, you need to have a strong relationship with God because let me just, let me just bust your bubble. In life, it isn't always going to be a rainbow over you. There are going to be bumps and discouragements and betrayals and pain in life, and you need to walk a consistent walk with God. There's a Spanish song, that, that, a hymn that's sung. It says it's easy when things are going well to serve the Lord. It's a whole different thing when the life has turned upside down. And so Paul is writing. He's telling them you need to take these things and, and push them away. Look at the text with me. And be taken forward toward maturity. I'm going to define that term in a few moments if you want to write it down, maturity. He says, and be taken forward. So there first has to be the abandonment, the aggressive pushing away of the old cultural things, religious things. And I've always told you, God will never hurt you. Religion will. 
but God will never hurt you. And we want people that serve the Lord because he, you have a relationship with him, not because you're bound by religious do's and don'ts and lists. So he says, push away from that, and what will happen in the pushing away from that, you're going to be then taken forward to, toward maturity. You know, in, in, uh, in physics, there's this principle that as you push away, if you're not careful in the aggressive pushing away of something, the momentum established in pushing away a matter through, through uh, and this is physics, the friction on the floor, the friction in the air, in doing that, it's also going to repel you away. So the harder I push away on those things that are bringing me down, the further away I'm going to get from them. You getting this? Take that boyfriend and send him to another part of the world. He broke your heart before, you're going to break your heart again. <laughs> you're looking at me, oh, but I love him, yes. He's so nice on Mondays. Payday. Hallelujah. Come on, say hallelujah if you can. I can speak that way. I'm speaking pastorally and fatherly to you today. Amen. So he says, take that and move it. And then in the pushing away of the elementary teachings, you're going to be taken forward toward maturity. There'll be that counter force that will take you forward. And then he goes on, not laying again foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death. And he's referring here directly to the Jewish audience. He says, in the past, in the Old Testament, according to the Levitical order, there were procedures that you had. Once a year, you'd go into the temple, there would be the shedding of blood of animals, and in the shedding of blood of the animals, it was taught in Judaism, still taught today, that then you would receive the propitiation of sin, that it would move God, and then you would enter into this place of righteousness until the next year. So you had to go through rituals. That's why when you read this and you put it in context in the, in the continuum of time, you will find that the biggest debates that are happening here right now is about circumcision, is about keeping the Sabbath, it's about dietary rule, it's about the resurrection. Those are issues that, never, that, that were never even resolved even till today because sometimes we get stuck on stuff like that. And God is a God, a God and this is the, the book of Hebrews, that Jesus, Jesus is greater Greater, to put it in urban vernacular, he's more betterer than rituals. He's more betterer than anything. And that's what he's, the writer here is projecting under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So push away, but then watch it. Don't get caught up thinking that you can follow and light candles and do those kinds of ritual things to get repentance. God is not looking for acts that you can do. The ultimate act for our redemption was already done. The price was already paid for our repentance and salvation. And we don't need to go back over there again and crucify Jesus again in our lives. But then there's a contingency here that I will address in a few moments, and that is it'll take you away. You'll go into moving forward toward maturity, but you need to make sure you understand the faith in God. I'm going to describe faith in a few moments in the context. And then what do we need to do to be able to be mature? But what is maturity? Maturity is to reach the full potential in every area so that the intended purpose of our lives can be fully maximized. I'm going to say it again. Maturity is really to reach the full potential, the exploitation of, of potential in every area. That means mind, soul, spirit, intellectually, physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, all that makes you who you are to maximize that so that the intended purpose in your life can be fully maximized. You're not an accident. God has a plan and purpose over your life. The reason you don't get there is because we make foolish decisions. 
I believe that when you were born, if he saw you, Jeremiah teaches that he saw us in the womb, right? So if he saw you in the womb, God already knew what you would become because he is omniscient and he's also all present. So when he saw you in the womb, he was already seeing you fully grown. Did you follow that? When he saw Jeremiah, look at Jeremiah when he says, I knew you, I saw you when you were being formed. When he saw you being formed, he already saw you fully developed. Because God is, God is not limited by time. If he was limited by time, he would not be God. Not limited by intellect, because if he was limited by intellect, then he would not be God. But God saw you in the womb, the Bible says, and he already saw immediately, was aware, fully aware. And we don't understand it because we think as humans and we're limited in the way we think and speak and process information. But God is, is limitless in the way he processes information. So you are able to see right now, you know that it's Sunday, right? Well, you know how God sees? God sees Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and the rest of your life all at the same time. That's how mighty he is. Hallelujah. That's how mighty he is. That's how mighty he is. So when he saw you, he already saw you fully maximized. So maturity is that God already saw that. And another teaching from Scripture, I want to lay on you right now. You have children that are going crazy, a spouse that is going crazy, a boss is giving you a hard time, and on and on and on. The things of life, because life happens. Let me just tell you that not only did God put in you the potential to, to, to be totally mature and exploit all that he, has in you, uh, that he has for you, but God also has provided all the resources you need to make that happen. I know some of you don't believe me. I'm going to tie it up right now. Or maybe not tie it up. Let it loose. <laughs> so if he created, he saw you in the womb, Jeremiah. He saw you before you were formed, as you were being formed in the womb. He immediately saw your potential, 50, your 50, 60, 78, however old you are. He already saw your potential. What happened? And then as I just said, as a preacher, but the preacher just said, he also provided all the resources. Absolutely. Provided all the resources. And your question has to be, then tell me what happened. Because if he saw my potential, he saw me in the womb, saw my potential in the future, and provided all the resources, then why am I not living a better life? Yes? Right? Logical? Simple, simple answer. Not God's fault. God saw you in the womb and saw you in the future and provided all the resources. Not the church's fault. The church is, church is neutral, not leadership fault, not culture, not education, not even money. It's simply our foolish decisions. Now say amen. <laughs> we got to get away from this denial stuff. Oh, I didn't make it. If, I, if my parents would have known, they didn't know. Why keep blaming them? Take ownership of your life today and say, this is what I got. What can I do with what I have? I'm telling you, if you plug into God, not to religion, if you plug into a relationship with the divine God, the cosmic God, the powerful God, if you connect with him on a daily basis, I'm going to show you that in a moment, your life will be mind-blowing. And let me just blow away a myth right now. You're never too old. I, I'm tired of hearing that already. I'm a baby boomer. Oh, you know what happens when you get I said, what happens when you get 60? What happens? It's like the whole world stops. Oh, what happens when you get 50 or 40? And people now, they say, well, 30 years old. What are you kidding me? Old is here. There's some teenagers that are old already. Millennials that are already old already. And I met some people that are advanced in age, and they're not old up here. Amen. I believe that God can renew your strength like the eagle, and you can sometimes accomplish a lot more in the second half of your life than prior. Come on, at least the people over 50 say hallelujah. The young people don't know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Are you getting this? So uh, that book, uh, that, that business, that career, that education, 
that wonderful life, that white picket fence and five acres of land, and you, you saw yourself milking cows if that's what you want, if that's what you follow your potential, that business, all of that stuff was already in you. God saw it. He provided the resource, but we made bad decisions. Now, watch the application, because the application here is that the Lord, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and using the author, is telling the audience, don't go to those rituals, because they thought it was the rituals. And it says clearly, those are rituals of death. And the, the, the New Testament teaching is that there is a renewing of the mind. Come on, slap yourself on the head every morning and get yourself going. And own the day. Don't let the day own you. Own the day. You're going for an interview. Own the interview. I mean, don't get cocky and all that stuff, but stop the, oh, I can't. I get nervous. I, everybody gets nervous. Give me a microphone. I want to wa watch me make somebody nervous right now. No, I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> Thanks, Gus. <laughs> but all of you went, I, I felt the air leave the room. <laughs> Who doesn't get nervous? You laugh at me because I get nervous when I go get my blood taken. I have to go Tuesday. Pray for me on Tuesday. <laughs> nervous, but I go. I don't, I don't think I've ever achieved anything in life. And let me talk to you seriously. Any milestone in life without prior to getting there, being nervous. And I mean nervous. I mean bathroom nervous. Come on, is that raw enough for you? So you're, you're gonna, when I was going to ask out this beautiful lady to be my wife, nervous. When I went to meet her father to ask for her hand in marriage, nervous. Especially he's a big guy. He was from the military. And me, I just make believe I'm from the military. <laughs> nervous. First interview when I was in the, in the business world. Nervous. Went to, when I sat down to do my, I told you the story, sat down to do my doctorate. The first thing was sitting in the cohort, and they're asking, where did you graduate from? And, where, and the guy next to me blew, blew away all the, he had just graduated from Harvard. And I was next to speak. Are you kidding me? So get away from this thing that you cannot, you're going to be nervous when things, when, when opportunities appear. Work through, use the nervousness to your, your advantage. You think I don't get some tension coming up here to speak to you? Look at all these eyes looking at me right now. Oh, but you move forward and you do what you need to do. Hallelujah. So we find that, don't let that stop you. Don't let age stop you. Move forward. But understand faith. I'm going to unpack that in a moment. And understand that there's some practical things that you need to do to make it happen. And let's start moving away from the rituals of the past. And start developing a new system of expressing and growing spiritually. That's my point. Not religiously. Spiritually. This, would be, this is great for millennials because millennials move away from the structures that we find in church environments and organizations. But it also applies to everyone here. And so maturity is that. Maturity is to have all the areas of our, humanist, our, our human function synergistically coming together for a period of time. When you get all of those things put together, and God is very good at putting things together. Yes. Hallelujah. When, when the guy was on the cross, when Jesus was being crucified, and the other guy says to, the, to Jesus, remember me? Remember? Remember that? He was dying on the cross, and then... You know, there's the dialogue, and the other, the other criminal is cursing the Lord, and, you know, he was gone. But this guy tells Jesus, remember me. The word remember is put me back together. Re, prefix, member. Take the members, the components of my life, and re, put them back. To, and I don't know about you, I've been serving the Lord all of my life. 
I love walking this walk. I love what I do. But every once and again, I got to be put back together. I went last two weeks ago to get a suit redone because it didn't look, when I first bought it, it looked great on me. But even if you don't say amen, I think it looked great on me and my wife agrees with me. But the suit changed. <laughs> Tommy, the suit changed. I had to go back to, and I didn't want to throw it. It's a nice suit. I like the color. I had to go back. And I told the guy, I repented after I told him this, but I said, I don't know. Maybe the dry cleaner, it got bigger. I don't know. Small, I think it was smaller. Let out a little bit more on the waist now. I don't know. It's not me. That's my... Every once in a while, you got to do a readjustment in your life. And that's what this book is. They, they had enough religion. The Hebrews at that time had enough religion, enough practices, enough do's and don'ts. They, they were experts in religiosity. But there was a new way in their lives. And church, we need to get to a place in our road to maturity that we realize that the choices to maturity matter and that we are the ones responsible for that. Don't hand it off on someone else. It really is on us. Understand also, number two, that there's no repentance or justification through rituals. It isn't about praying more. We need to pray. It isn't about reading the Bible more. We need to read the Bible more. That, that we definitely have to do. But sometimes we think that it's that. If somebody, if so-and-so prays for me, then I'll really be delivered. No, own your stuff and realize that rituals don't really make a change in our lives. Especially old rituals, like I just mentioned, a dear brother, lighting candles and, you know, all that. That, that had its place at its time. That's, all, that's what you knew then. But now you know something else. And realize that there's no justification in that. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. You can lose it at the very last moment. You have to guard your walk every single day. You can live a life that's unblemished untarnished in any way, and then toward the end of your journey, you make a mistake, and all of a sudden, everything else goes away. And so realize that those things, those rituals, those habits, those traditions, those acts of repentance will only lead to death. Don't get hooked up on that. So the third thing I want to mention to you is we, we, we can't rely solely on those religious exercises for spiritual maturity. You know, you know, sometimes when you get those, you ever get those spiritual flames or all of a sudden you get a spiritual flame and you say, this is it. This is the year. You make a resolution. I'm going to read through the Bible the whole time. I'm going to read it Spanish and English and Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. I'm going to read it backwards, upside down because I'm going to read the Bible. And then April comes and you haven't even read through Genesis. Because we're flaky. Don't look at your neighbor right now. Aren't there flaky people? None in this room right now, but aren't there flaky people? Aren't there flaky people? Help me, otherwise I'll stay right there. You cannot rely on spiritual... Ex and, and please understand, because I, I don't want misinterpretation. I am not saying don't pray. Pray. But if you pray and you're not living a life that's pleasing unto the Lord, the prayer is ineffectual. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. Read the Bible. This, the, the, develop yourself that way. But if you're not letting, you could read the Bible, but if you don't let the Bible penetrate inside of you to change behavior, it isn't really about change. I've said this before. It's about transformation. You should be different. 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 And religion doesn't do that. It's a relationship with God because you cannot offend the Lord. And sometimes we rely too much on the, the religious exercises, thinking that that's going to make me spiritual. If I go to Bible school, if I go here, if I go there, if I give here or give over there, 
not church, it's a daily watching over your life. In the text, it says that, that faith, uh, it, it comes along with spiritual disciplines. If we want to move forward, we need to have faith in God. It says in the text, right? It says in the text very clearly, and the second part, and a faith in God. And then it goes on to instruct us that we need to have spiritual disciplines. I'm going to unpack that in a moment, but let me talk about faith first. What kind of faith? Two components. Two components of faith. The first component that I want you to understand about faith is live completely convinced that God is sovereign. Sovereign is defined as God is satisfied within himself. God doesn't need an outside entity to make him God. He just be God all by himself. In fact, God is so settled in being sovereign, being God, satisfied within himself, that even if an atheist doesn't believe in God, that doesn't stop God from being God. Are you following me? And get that. God is sovereign. I touched a little bit because time does not stop him. Right now, he can read all of our minds at the same time and not get confused. Because there are no limitations to God. He is sovereign. The other thing with sovereignty, satisfied within himself, he doesn't need a committee to help him make a decision. All wisdom emanates from him, and he is wisdom. He doesn't need help to love. He is love. If you read the epistles of John, 1, 2, and 3, you will finally clearly describe for us that God is love. It's a mathematical equation. There's the equal sign in the middle, and on either side of the equal sign, it's God and it's love. God equals love, and love equals God. If you want to really be a lover, get involved with God. Praise the Lord. Sovereign. God is above religion. That's the whole theme of the book of Hebrews. Or above religion, above theology, above thinking, above philosophy, above position. Some people think they get the elected, they have a position and a title. No matter where, they walk different. You ever notice that? One thing I like about our previous president, he always had that hip-hop walk all the time. I like when he used to come out of the Rose Garden to give his, and I'm going to announce today, and he was just had this, this urban kind of like swag. I've tried all the years that he was in office trying to get that swag, but I don't, I don't have that swag. That wasn't political, by the way. That's human observation right now. I swear. Know it. God likes you. People may not like you, but God likes you. He's madly in love with you. Even when you don't behave. Even when we, let me throw myself in there. He still, that's, you know, that blows my mind. Imagine if God would treat us based on the last way we treated him. And yet he's still embracing. He's still forgiving. And so faith means that we embrace that God is sovereign. And, and let me push a little further. That means that you are so wrapped up with God and your faith in him that even if he doesn't give you what you want, you'll still serve him. A mature person is able to walk, walk through life with questions and unresolved issues on their shoulders and still walk with the Lord. And in life, it's that way, church. Let me just, let me help you right here. Not everything in life adds up. And not everything in life is going to be just like you like it, like you want it. There are going to be bumps. There are going to be disappointments. There's going to be difficult things that you need to go through. You need, just need to get through it. You just need to get through it. But that doesn't mean that God is less God because he didn't answer your prayer. If he doesn't heal your body, if he doesn't restore your marriage, if he doesn't restore your family, give your, 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 your kids back, if he doesn't get you out of debt or whatever it is, if he doesn't help you with this, if he does nothing more, he is still sovereign. Get that in your head. 
And you might think, boy, he's talking very, you know, very strong and confidently right now. You don't know the battles I go through, the struggles I have, the, the things I carry. But you know what? It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with me and in life. Yes. And mature people need to realize that's the way it is. And you just keep walking. And when you really love somebody, come on, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that are here, when you really love your kids, some of your kids really broke your heart, not once, not twice, but a bunch of times. In fact, you're still putting the pieces of your heart back together. Come on, parents, grandmas, grandmas, and grandpas, say amen, because it's true. But when you really love someone, you will stand in front of them and take another hit from them because you love them. That's the way God is. We disappoint him. We break covenant. We promise and promise and promise. And the next day, we're off doing other things. Contrary to the Lord, yet he's there waiting for us. He is sovereign. Sovereign over your family. Satisfied over your, your, your life. He is there. He does not change. He's immutable. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The, the beginning and the end. That's who he is. And I'm, I'm staying here on, on purpose. Understand that that's not a religious concept. That's just a relational reality. When you realize that that's who God is. People are flaky, but God is not. He's faithful. Faithful. Paul writes, he says, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. The word there in the original remain means that he, it's cemented. It's the, a deep foundation. God is not going to be moved in his faithfulness to us. Come on, some, some of us have done enough bad that we should already be dead. Some of us are so bad that the angels sound, signed off already on sending us to hell. <laughs> Don't put your head down. You've done enough bad. We, but God, sovereign. His love is not going to change. His ability to forgive is not based on rituals of the shedding of blood of animals and the high priest. He just is that way. So understanding that component of faith, the other component of faith that we need to really grapple with, and I think it's important for the text and lifting the intent, but also in the application for us. One, the faith is that God is sovereign. The second aspect of faith is that God, we need to continue believing that God is a God of miracles. We're living in a time where we're, God is not a God of coincidence. And, and um, here, let me define miracle for you. Miracle is, this is my definition of miracle. Miracle is something that our mind cannot understand, but reality cannot deny. That's a miracle. Our mind, let me give you an example. It does not make sense that Peter walked on water. My brain starts to backfire, but how is it possible Matter, I mean, uh, water does not have enough matter to be able to sustain the weight of a man, particularly when you have square inches of, 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 of surface on his foot. His foot is not enough matter to be able to sustain the weight of a man. So God sent a telegram from heaven to H, Mr. H and Mr. 2 and Mr. O, and told them something miraculous is going to happen. You're going to see the shadow of a foot approaching you and just hold them up. And miraculously, Peter walked on water. Does it make sense? Absolutely not. Can you deny that it happened? Absolutely not. A miracle. We're living in an age where we believe that everything is going to be satisfied through Google. <laughs> You're doing it right now. Let me see if what Pastor Mark is saying is true. Go ahead. Hallelujah. 
We need to get to a ridiculous place. I believe that the bush was burning and not being consumed when the bush spoke to Moses. And you say, but how is it possible? I don't know. Scientifically, it doesn't make sense. It's burning. That means that, that the, the embers are proof that the molecular structure of that bush was disintegrating. Yes? The scientists that are here? Yes? The embers is tangible scientific proof that the molecular structure of the plant was falling apart. Should I say it again? Some of you, this is not a science class, but I'm just... But yet, the Bible says, not only that, but it spoke. You know what's another one that spoke? Uh, Naaman's uh, a mule. It said that he was going under an Old Testament situation. God did not give a mule. A mule was made to carry a load. They're, they're animals of burden. And then it, yet it says in the text that Naaman was not listening to God. So God put vocal cords on a mule and had the mule speak to him. He says, why are you hitting me? You look at the text. It's in there. Now listen, it doesn't make sense. I've been to the Bronx Zoo. I have not found a talking mule. I've been to the Central Park Zoo. I've not seen a talking mule. Google it right now, talking mule. You won't find it. Mules don't talk, but I believe in miracles. I don't know how God or why God would listen to the prayer of a guy like Joshua, Joshua chapter 10, when he needed a little bit more time to be able to win the battle, and he cries out in a moment, because sometimes our crazy momentary prayers are very effectual, and he bursts out in a prayer, and he speaks to the moon. You read it, Joshua 10. He, he tells moon, stand still. Oh, and by the way, son, you stand still too. Because he needed more time to fight the battle. In fact, scientifically, they've done, a, I don't know if you've, you've studied this, they did a continuum of time. As far back as science can go, they throw out a line, it's called a continuum of time, and they go moving forward, and then they ubicate or they place, ubican, ubican, ubican. They ubicate, they place, in, oh, and throughout that continuum of time, of time, certain things that happen in what is known about man's history. And as they were calculating the time, scientists have discovered, not theologians, scientists have discovered that there's a period of time missing where there doesn't seem to be activity of any kind. There's a space of about 20 to 24 hours that's missing. I should have a PhD. I should be a nuclear physicist and show them that the Bible says that Joshua prayed, moon, stop, sun, Stop. And the Bible says that the entire universe put on, they had this break, they had Brembo breaks. The whole universe stopped because one man prayed. Now you're saying that's ridiculous. But the gospel is scandalous. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous that a God would come down from heaven for a wretch like me and you does not make any kind of sense. God works in the nonsensical, ridiculous things. Why is this important? Because one, we need to believe that God is sovereign. That's my faith. But I want to encourage your faith today. You also need to believe that God is not done yet with your life. God is a God that performs miracles and gives them as gifts to us as we remain faithful in the realm of his sovereignty. So your child will be rescued. 
Your, your, your deliverance will come. Your home will be a place of peace. Your future will be secure. God will respond from heaven miraculously. God has a habit of showing up at the 11th hour and 59th minute when all options have run out and all of a sudden a miracle happens and we're able to enjoy the blessing of the Lord. We can't give him credit, her credit, them credit, the organization credit. The only one that can get credit is God. And you know what? Let's, let's be real right now. Most of us should have been dead a long time ago. The way we lived our lives in the past, the things that we did, that we don't talk about it because everything is under the blood. But if you could read my mind, what, the, what, what my mind would say, what my thoughts would say right now, come on, you could say hallelujah. Yet the Lord was able to allow us to be where we are today, not because of science, not because of 12 step or 14 step or this or that, simply because God is a miracle working God. Yes. You could have children, now you have children. You didn't think you would live where you were living. You know how many times we, Pastor Ian and I, we talk about this all the time. We pinch ourselves. We can't believe the way the Lord is blessing us. It doesn't make math. And I come from Wall Street. You know how much money you make in Wall Street? But we're living better today with less. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Well, you know, we tied, so that works. Hallelujah doesn't make sense. And church, all I'm trying, if you want to move forward, get away from the stuff that's getting you down. You know the other thing? Never mind what your friends do. Because sometimes, either consciously or in our subconscious level, we want to imitate somebody else. Be you. You're the best you God ever made. Don't try to imitate. I'm a lousy, a lousy, a lousy, a lousy example of Billy Graham. I can never be Billy Graham. I can never be Joel Osteen. This is my Bible. I can never be T.D. Jakes. I can definitely never be Joe Smyers because she's a woman and I'm a man. I'm, but I'm the best me that God ever created. And you. And sometimes we live a comparative life. We want to be like him or her. No, 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 no. Your maturity is yours. You own it or you should own it. And God has provided for you. Come on, give the Lord a praise right now for me, with me for a moment. I want to transition to the next part. So faith is sovereignty, and faith is God is still in the miracle working business. But how do we do that? We are church, even though I just talked a few moments ago about disciplines and, and, and routines, we are people that need disciplines while we're on this side of, of eternity. I asked you before how many people took a bath, right? Let me ask you another question. You can laugh, but don't answer it. Um, the clothes that you have on right now, that's what you were sleeping with? No. When you got up this morning, you followed a routine. Some people bathe the night before and lay out all their clothes the night before. And you do that religiously. <laughs> Some people get up in the morning a half hour earlier, and then they put their clothing together and all that together, and they take a bath in the morning, and they do it. That's their ritual, right? That's the, some people don't do any of that. They just, whatever. But you brush your teeth at a certain time. You put your, there's even a system for putting on your clothes. Put the socks first. And depending if, if you're, you're not, most people are not ambidextrous, but depending if you're right-handed or left-handed, you'll put the left sock first. You put the right foot in, you put the right, no, you put the left sock on, the right sock on, then your pants, some people just put on their shirt, their tie. There's a ritual. You like my bow tie? I like it too. I, I put it on here, because it's too hot. So this morning, I, it was hot this morning, or it's hot now, so I didn't, I usually wear my tie, I leave my house the way I'm going to be here in front of you. 
But this morning, I said, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'll put the bow tie downstairs. So I broke my ritual, and I realized it. So we're all creatures of habit. You have a particular bus that you take every morning, or car, there's a particular parking space. In fact, some of you, I already know when you're not here, because I know generally where you sit. Yeah. Because I look around, I say, oh yeah, so-and-so's not here. They usually sit around that area. So we're creatures of habit. And habits, routines, and disciplines, this is a, 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 a teaching I do separately, but habits, routines, and disciplines are important because they allow us to get somewhere. Marilyn Noah graduated from college, and she had to submit herself to a discipline, an academic discipline. Are you following me? You want to be healthy? You have to submit yourself to exercising and all of that. Right? Discipline, even though I'm the guy that I don't like getting up in the morning to do exercise. I've said that before. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I wish there was another way. I believe in miracles. I wish there was just a miracle. And I go, <laughs> But then I meet people like Marcos who likes to go exercising, and, and I'm jealous of him. And me, I have to get up in the morning. Anybody like me? I hate exercising. You're lying. You're not raising your hands. You know you, I'm going to go, uh, there's only a few people in the world that I've met that go, I'm going to go exercising. <laughs> not me. I don't like sweating. Disciplines are important. So let me lay on you four C's real quickly. Four C's that my advice to you is do this every day, maybe even several times a day, and your life will be on the road toward maturation. Very, ba very easy things. Four C's. The first thing is confession. Make confession part of your life. And in our tradition, we don't confess to man. We confess directly to the Lord. Everyone does something or thinks something or is about something, has the wrong attitude. And confession is really about going before the Lord in our times of prayer and, 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 and owning up to our human sinfulness and the failures of our journey. And by the way, you don't, need to have a, you don't need to wait to come to church to have an altar to do this. The altar can be as your car is warming up. The altar can be as you're waiting for the elevator. And you say, but you're minimizing. I'm not minimizing. I want you to get into the practice of doing it. How do you become a prayer warrior that can pray many hours? Pray a minute first. And then cumulatively, you'll be, a, you'll be praying more often. So confession, this is, these are things you could do at work when you have that break. These are things you could do at home before you go to sleep or wake up in the morning. But I encourage you every day, practice this. These disciplines will get you going. In fact, our service today and every time we gather, follow these four C's. Every single service we have follows this. When we call you up to prayer after the worship time, that's a period of confession. And that's owning up. Don't let somebody else do it for you. Put the petition in the prayer box that we have there, but you lay your petitions yourself. God wants to hear your voice. Your voice. And this could be in the privacy of your home. It could be in the, in the confines of your office. It could be, uh, uh, you know, just before you get to bed, wake up in the morning. In fact, I encourage you to do it often. Confession, confession, confession. And confession, what confession does, it neutralizes denial. You're owning up that you've done this. And I'm not saying, I'm not going to give you a mic to say it publicly. But owning up before the Lord, Lord, I missed the mark. I thought thoughts that were in there. Help me, Lord, to overcome this. And confess it before the Lord. You know why? Because if you don't confess, you're going to blow up. There's going to be a cathartic explosion in your life. And, and all that stuff that's been pented up inside is going to find ventilation somewhere. So confess often, frequently, several times a day. Second C is consecration. And that is, Lord, I, I want to live a holy life. I want to have this goal of righteousness and justice in my life. Every single day. I want to treat individuals correctly. You ever have people that got your last nerve? 
How many people here drive cars, get on the subway, wait for the elevator? Right? Come to church. <laughs> There's some people that get on your nerve. Come on, you can say hallelujah. Confess that. Confess that. Confess that. Confess that. Consecrate. Consecrate the dignity of humans around you. And stop this labeling that we have, this name calling, this lying that we see going on, being part of the context and fiber of our society. Until you reach a level of perfection, then you can point the finger at individuals. You might disagree with someone on their decisions and on their policies and on the, the things that they want to move forward. But what I'm saying is let's honor and let's consecrate the, the, the human dignity in every individual. If we're all made in the image and likeness of God, the Imago Dei, as I taught in the series we just finished about family matters, then we need to dignify that. And there are people that irk you. There are people that get on your last nerve. There are people that you want to get even with. But you got to let it go. Some things you just got to let go. I was driving yesterday, coming back, and there's this person cutting me off left and right. I don't know if they just didn't like my car, or I don't know what was going on. Honestly, I'm telling you with all my heart, I was not agitating anybody. I'm just driving. I just want to get home. The person was cutting me off. And the last time they cut me off, it was so close that my, the alarms on the car, you know, the cars have all these sensors and stuff, they went off. That's how close. And I actually got annoyed. I said, I'm not so I took a picture of his license plate. And, all, blah, 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 blah. and in my mind, I'm thinking, not spiritual. You ever, not, you ever thought not spiritual? <laughs> it was bad. It was real bad. Pastor, he looked at me and said, what are you doing? I was not being pastoral. Any confessions? Confession's good. And I was ready. I know how to write Spanish, English, and some of the biblical languages. I know how to find you on Google. I, was gonna, I, I already had it in my mind. I had a template of the letter I was going to write. Right? And then, you know, the, the camera's everywhere, so it's easy to substantiate. I did not, because I was saying, I was justifying myself. I did not do anything wrong. What's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with him? They know he's messing with. But you know what? I went home. Why? Maybe his kid is giving him trouble. Maybe he's going through a divorce. Maybe his shoes are too tight. I, don't, I couldn't get into the guy's head, and nor do I want to. But my point is, what is the point? It's different if they're attacking my kids, my wife, my family. But a car can be replaced, and we have insurance. Are you following me? And if you think about it, sometimes we fight over the silliest things. <clears throat> things that simply, we hold a grudge with people and it just does not matter. Consecrate. Consecrate. Give it unto the Lord. Seek holy living. Treat people right. Follow the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. Follow the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want do, done unto you, even if they mistreat you. Just bless people rather than blast them. The third C, the first one was confession, then it's consecration. And the, the third one is commitment. Make a commitment every day. And church, I do this, I'm telling you, I do this every single day. I didn't, you didn't take me this far so that then I could just run away. And it gets tough. But you make a commitment, no, I'm going to stand. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to live. I gave you my word. I'm going to march forward. And sometimes marching forward is not even movement. It's just standing still because you don't want to go backwards. And, and church, make a commitment. This is what I'm going to do. Let your word matter. 
I'm going to get to work early. I'm not going to let them mess me up. I'm going to put up with this nonsense and not say a thing. I'm just going to bring it to the Lord. Commitment. And not only commitment that way, but also commitment. Bless the things that are around you. You're not living in the street. Thank God for the apartment you have. Yes, it's not the right color, the right size. You don't have the right number of bathrooms. You want wood floors instead of vinyl, whatever. You don't want casement windows. You want double-sealed uh, insulated windows and all that stuff. But thank God for what you want. I mean, what you have. Th that's also commitment. Commit things to the Lord. Bless your home. Bless your car. Bless your children even when they don't. I, I love it. I I'm very Latino on this point. Bear with me for a moment. Very Latino on this point. And that is in my tradition, the Latino tradition, we have this thing that we bless kids. We don't even know them. When my kids were small, sometimes when I'm walking with my grandkids, I'm walking, and somebody said, oh, how beautiful, God bless her. And they're like, oh, how beautiful, God bless him, right? You know what I'm talking about, they bless kids. When I see the kids coming out of the edges and all over the place down here, and they're walking, I'm in my car, I don't know them, because now you can't go near kids, because they'll arrest you. But God is my witness. I'll be waiting at the last. I say, God bless them. Be with them, Lord. Every single one of those little people that are there, God bless them. And they reach their fullest potential. I send blessings. Consecrate. Consecrate your home. Consecrate your possessions. Consecrate your, the call of God over your life. I frequently say, there's no way I can turn my back. God has been too good for me. Too good to me. What I have is simply because of God's grace and favor. So I want to honor him. I want to commit what I'm doing to him. Are you following me? Bless loved ones. Bless possessions. Because if you don't bless them, that's going to give room for a curse to come in. Bless your children. And then the last, the first C was confession. The second one was consecration. The third one was commitment. The last one is celebration. We've already shown that. Celebrate the Lord. You know the song, in the good times and the bad times, I will praise the Lord. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir does a wonderful job with that song. We, we need to be people that celebrate. There's enough in life to complete. I was taking the elevator to my house yesterday. I was here. The, the Spanish men had a gathering. It was wonderful. And then when I was going home, um, after the event was over, I'm crossing the street, and I live across the street, so I'm in the elevator. And the, this lady, I didn't know her, but she's from my building. So I talked to everybody, by the way. I'm that guy that you could throw me with strangers, and before you know it, they'll tell me the whole And then when they find out I'm a pastor, forget about it. They'll tell me the whole life story. But in that eight-second ride to... I think she, they got off on the 11th floor. Um, so I struck up a conversation. And, you know, we always start with the, the stuff, everybody, you know, the weather. So isn't it nice? You know, finally, summer is coming. The first thing she said, oh, I'm going to be sweating. It's going to be so hot. It's going to be. <laughs> Have a good day. I tried. I tried, ma'am. I tried. I, I really tried. But you're not going to rain on my parade. It's a nice day. I love this weather. I'm Caribbean. I like hot weather. <laughs> Choices. You can either complain and not get anywhere or celebrate. It's either half empty or half full. I choose to not live negatively. Now, there's some negative things that happen. I celebrate them. I celebrate the goodness of the Lord. I celebrate the Lord in worship and praise. That song that we put on, we were just about dancing up here and getting happy feet. Because the Lord has just been so gracious and good to us all the time. Let me close out with this passage. Now it's Paul writing to the church in Corinth, very similar to New York, very urban. And he's writing to that crazy church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. 
And look at what he says to them. He says, brothers and sisters. There's no doubt that he's talking to believers. Brothers and sisters, right? Brothers and sisters. He says, stop thinking like children. He says, in regard to evil, be infants. Think about that for a moment. Children don't see malice. He says, in regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. Church, the time has come for me and you, all of us together, to graduate toward maturation. Let's leave the foolish, infantile things of the past. And let's graduate now to this new life that God has for us. It's great to be alive. Even with all the stuff going on, even with all the uncertainty around us, it's great to be alive. You can shape and form your future. You really can. By having Christ as the priority in your life. He's the launching pad. You will reach your fullest potential as you mature in him. Give him an opportunity. Invite him in your heart. It is not about religiosity. It's about a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. That's what the author of, of Hebrews was telling those believers. Make him your priority. And the rest of your future will be fantastic. Let's stand throughout this place.